Genesis chapter 40, we're looking at the whole chapter this evening. This is the word of the Lord. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord and the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each had his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do not, and please do me the kindness to mention to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the, into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream, and there were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the word of God, and we give thanks to him for it. Let me pray and ask for God's help once more. Father, as we come to spend some time thinking about Genesis 40, we pray that we would hear you speak. We know that we need you to give us eyes to see, ears to hear. We know it's you who can make our hearts burn, and we pray that that would be the case, that tonight we would know that we have heard Jesus speak. We ask this in his name, amen. Sometimes the paths of righteousness lead us through the valley of deep, deep darkness. 
wonder, did you know that? Sometimes the paths of righteous living, living in such a way that we follow the law of God, take us to places that are dark and painful and disorientating. That's what Psalm 23 tells us, isn't it? And some of you already know that this evening. And it's certainly the experience that Joseph had, isn't it? If you were here last week, or over the last few weeks, you might kind of know what's happened in the story. Joseph has been sold by his brothers, and he has found himself in Egypt. He's been working for Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. He worked hard, he served well, and the Lord was with him. And as a result of Joseph's work, all of Potiphar's household went really, really well. God allowed him to bring great blessing to Potiphar's household. We're told that Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything. The only concern he had was what he would eat and what he would drink. Picking from presumably his pretty lavish menu for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that was the biggest concern that this man Potiphar actually had. Then what happened last week? Well, Potiphar's wife took a, a liking to Joseph, didn't she? He caught her eye, and she liked what she saw. (laughs) And yet, despite the power play, the woman here having effectively ruling over him, remember, she was the lady of the house, and he was a mere servant, and she was demanding that he would come and sleep with her, even using physical force. And despite the pressure, he did not comply. What did he do? He refused, and Joseph fled, didn't he, leaving his cloak in her hand. He refused to sleep with another man's wife. He refused to have sex outside marriage. And rather than waiting around, he got himself out of there, didn't he? He got himself out of there. What a man. A man of integrity, isn't he? A man of determination. A man who didn't just say he loved God with his mouth, but he showed it in his actions. Righteous actions. This is the kind of story that you'd love to see feature on the BBC News but it rarely seems to end up there. And yet, if you know what happened, you'll know that, well, Joseph didn't find himself thanked by Potiphar, but rather as a result of the lies that Potiphar's wife tells, claiming that he was the one who actually attacked her, he unjustly finds himself in prison. There he is, Joseph. He was the one who acted rightly. He'd done the right thing, hadn't he? And yet here he is, plunged once again into the pit, finding himself in prison. The the path of righteousness that his shepherd had led him on led him right into the valley of darkness. Uh, Maybe you're here this evening and and that surprises you. (laughs) Maybe we think to ourselves that if we seek to follow God's way, well then, won't all things go well for us? That our life will never enter the, the valley of deep darkness, but rather that we would be continually found in in bright sunny paths. That's not the message of the Bible, is it? God never promises to his people that things will be nice and pleasant, painless. No, quite the opposite, actually. For God's people, we are to expect more pain and more suffering in this life. And yet, how did chapter 9 or 39 finish? Glance up and you'll, you'll see how it finishes. It finishes by telling us that the Lord was with Joseph. Yes, he was in prison, but the Lord was with him. And the Lord gave him favor with the keeper of the prison. And we also see that 
Joseph actually is given responsibility in prison over all of the other prisoners. That's, that's surprising, isn't it? We don't expect that. But God was with Joseph, and so he could have sung with the psalmist. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or the valley of deep darkness, as it might be better translated, I will fear no evil. And what was the reason? For you are with me. For you are with me. That was what was going to make all the difference for Joseph, wasn't it? And I want you to know this evening that if you are one of the good shepherd sheep, well, then he is always with you. He is always with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He may lead you into the valley. It might be painful. It might be difficult. It might be really, really hard. But he is with you nonetheless. And that should bring us comfort this evening. But as we got to the end of Genesis 39 last week, things were looking a bit more hopeful, weren't they? Things were looking a bit more hopeful. Maybe there was light on the other side of the, of the valley starting to peek through. And because Joseph had been granted responsibilities within the prison, and that's remarkable, isn't it? He was given charge of all of the other prisoners in the prison. And just like he was in, 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 in Potiphar's house, whenever he was the, the keeper of pretty much everything, the same happens here. And as he's left in charge, the Lord is with him, and the Lord made everything that he did succeed. God has given Joseph some great abilities, hasn't he? Some great administrative abilities. And so wherever he finds himself, he uses the gifts that he has. And so as we jump into the next chapter, there's certainly a glimmer of hope, isn't there? We're expecting something to happen. It seems like God is at work. God is with Joseph. We know that. It's mentioned that a number of times in the, in, in the previous chapter. He's still in prison. Yes, we understand that. And yet surely with how things have you know, worked out at the end of the last chapter, we're expecting things to really lift off for Joseph at this point. We're kind of expecting to read at the start of chapter 40 something like this. Joseph was granted a retrial. Joseph was granted a retrial, and the evidence was, was thrown out of court, and Joseph was lifted from the prison, and Joseph was put into a great position. And then we start to read... 40 verse 1, and it starts like this, some time after this, some time after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. Wonder, did you pick it up? Some time, some time, both at the start and at the end of those verses. And we read it, and we tend to read it quickly, don't we? And we move on to see what comes next in the story. We just keep reading. But for Joseph, for Joseph... It does not pass so quick, does it? No, not at all. Because I'm assuming that Joseph was looking to get out of prison pretty pronto. He, he wasn't keen to be hanging about there any longer than he needed to be. And yet, God does not answer those prayers in the way that he would surely have hoped. The Lord was with Joseph. 
But yet considerable lengths of time seem to pass. And what's he doing? He's just serving away in prison. And it seems that the Lord who is leading his sheep is content to linger longer in the valley than Joseph would surely have wanted. And isn't that a reminder to us this evening that God's timing is not always our timing? God's timing is not always our timing. God's timing is not always our timing, and yet God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He has his purposes in keeping us in the places that we would not rather be, and they are his good purposes. Perhaps you're here this evening, and you've been crying out to God for some time now. You've been crying out to God, asking God to change a particular circumstance in your life, and you've done so again and again and again. And yet, God is not bringing about the change that you'd hoped. You still work in the same office. You still have that same boss. The health diagnosis, well, it hasn't improved. The children are still rebellious. Your neighbor is still making your life incredibly difficult. Your loneliness still exists. The depression still lingers. Your longing for children hasn't resulted in pregnancy. Those in your class still mock you for going to SU. And you cry out to God, and for whatever reason, the circumstances do not change. And although God does not change our circumstances, in the way that we might hope and the way that we might pray, it's not that God is not at work. Because actually, we know that God is at work in the very midst of our trials, isn't he? Isn't that what James has been reminding us in our morning series as we've been working it through? In the very midst of these trials of various kinds, these trials which will come to all of God's people, well, God has a very particular purpose, doesn't he? They are tests to our faith, which are meant to produce steadfastness. And steadfastness, what's it to have? It's full effect, isn't it? It's full effect so that we might become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the language of James, isn't it? And as one writer puts it, God's plan is not a plan for our ease and comfort, but rather a plan for our death and resurrection, dying to sin and our own self and rising to a whole new life in him. Remember that God is at work even in the waiting. Perhaps we could say God is at work especially in the waiting. Even in the times of wrestling when things are hard and things are tough, God is at work. God was at work in Joseph whenever he was in prison. And his time in prison continued for some time. Maybe that's where you are this evening. Sometime, and you're in the middle. We don't want to miss the other two characters who we've been introduced to, these two characters who have been placed in prison and, and under Joseph's care. It's the, the chief baker and the chief cupbearer to the king. And we're told that one night, both of these men have a dream, don't they? And when Joseph goes to attend them the next morning, Joseph picks up that these, well, these men are troubled. They're troubled. And so he says to them, why are your faces so downcast? Perhaps it's interesting just to note the fact that Joseph doesn't let his own worries consume him. Do you spot that? 
He doesn't become so turned in on himself that he fails to recognize anything else that's happening out there. But rather, he still has eyes to see what's going on in the lives of those who are around him, those whom he has been placed beside. And I wonder, is there a challenge for us this evening? Is there a challenge for us in the times of waiting, in the times of struggle, in the times of deep darkness, in those valleys, do we get so consumed with our own struggles that we fail to recognize that we are still to love our neighbor? We're still to love our neighbor. For these two men in prison, what was it that their concern actually was? Do you see it? They've had these dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. That's their big problem. There are no interpreters. Dream interpretation was big business at the time. In Egypt, there was a common belief that the gods would speak to you through dreams. And so there were plenty of people who were happy to cash in on giving you an interpretation. So what does Joseph think? He finds himself in prison. These two men are keen for interpretation. Is it an, opportun- an opportunistic time to, to step in and interpret? Presumably these men were pretty wealthy, and maybe he could have received a pretty decent fee. Well, no, that's not what Joseph is about, is it? Joseph wants to point to the truth of how God is the one who alone holds the future. And so if these dreams have a meaning, then it can surely only be the one true living God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob, who can actually speak to these dreams with authority. So he responds, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Now what's fascinating here is that as we look, Joseph is is actually demonstrating great faith. Here he is, the one who himself had received two dreams from God, dreams that seem very, very, very far from being fulfilled as he finds himself stuck in prison, and yet he still believes, doesn't he? He still believes. He has faith. God is the one who determines the future. Interpretations belong to God. And so he is no opportunistic man in the negative sense. And yet, what does he do? He, he sees an opportunity and he does take it, doesn't he? Not to point to himself, but to point to his God. And again, life can be like that, can't it? You're just going about your everyday business, perhaps in prison, perhaps outside of prison. Most days are maybe just pretty normal. And then an opportunity just arises, sets itself before you to be able to point to the one true God, to be able to talk about your Savior, Jesus, the one who has saved you from your sin, the one who has lifted you from the pit. Sometimes we take them, don't we? Sometimes we don't even spot them. Sometimes we see them and we're too scared to say anything. But Joseph speaks, doesn't he? And then the the cupbearer is the first one to share his dream. Look at it in verse 9. He says, in my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened in the grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. With the dream being retold, Joseph now gives the interpretation. And it is a favorable interpretation, isn't it? This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. 
Surely as the cupbearer heard this interpretation, his eyes must have lit up. He must have been a happy man. And then listen to what Joseph says. Joseph appeals to him, verse 14, only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so to get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Please remember me. That's his big appeal, isn't it? Please remember me. It's the very same language that is used by the thief on the cross being crucified beside Jesus, isn't it? Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, the remembering that the thief wanted wasn't just like a momentary glance back in the mind of Jesus. They didn't want Jesus to just say, oh, yes, there was another man on the cross. No, that's not what he wanted. He wanted the remembering, the type of remembering that did something for him, that would rescue him, that would save him. Boys and girls, those who are here, if you say to your granny, granny, remember it's my birthday on Friday. What is the last thing you want your granny to do? Just remember, isn't it? That is not what you want your granny to do. You want your granny to go and get you a big present. That's what you want, isn't it? And this is the type of remembering, isn't it? He, he appeals to the cupbearer and says, remember me. Remember me. Mention to Pharaoh, get me out of here. Remember me so that he can be raised up out of the pit. You see, Joseph shouldn't be there, should he? He says that he was stolen from the land of the Hebrews. And well, that's exactly what happened, isn't it? He was stolen in the sense that he was sold by his brothers. I mean, they had no right to do so. They didn't own him, and yet they sold him. It was not their property. And even when he was in Egypt, we know that he acted incredibly well. He was an exemplary employee, wasn't he? And yet, because of this false testimony, he's found himself in prison. And so Joseph says, I shouldn't be here. Remember me. Remember me. Well, on hearing the favorable interpretation, the chief baker wants his dream interpreted. Now, when you look at the dream, you have to wonder, did he really think that his was going to have such a positive outcome? He says, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. This was surely not an easy truth to share with the chief baker. It wasn't the message of life that he got to share with the cupbearer, but rather this was a message of death, wasn't it? And in one sense, Joseph is doing what every faithful preacher must do. They must speak the words of God, and to some it will bring life, and to others it will confirm their death. And yet Joseph tells them the truth, doesn't he? He tells them the truth. But it's not just preachers. 
Because all of us have responsibility to share the gospel, don't we? Some of you have particular teaching responsibilities, maybe within this church, maybe within another church, maybe in a youth group, maybe in a home group, maybe you're an elder. And if we're going to be faithful, then we can't just share the, the nice bits. No, we have to share all of Scripture, the whole truth of God's Word. And the temptation is real, isn't it? The temptation is real to, to just share some nice little snippets that isn't going to cause us any hassle. Nobody's going to push back. But it's not the truth. Joseph sets forth both the words of life and the words of death. And what happens is his dreams are interpreted. Does God's word stand? Does what God says will happen come to pass? Well, verse 20, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast of all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among the servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. You see, every detail, every detail plays out exactly as the interpretation had said. Did you spot that? All the details are there. And I want you to see that everything that God says will come to pass will come to pass. All of God's words will come to pass. God has given us his word, and we can be sure that he will not change it. He will not fail to deliver upon it. We will not find that his words fail. Now today we don't look to dreams to seek God's word. Hebrews um, in the New Testament tells us that things have changed. It starts by saying this, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. So God speaks by his son, revealed to us in the scriptures. But the words spoken are no less true. And that means that the words that we read in the Bible today will do the same thing that the words that were interpreted from the dreams by Joseph did. They will all come true, every last word. Every word is true, and it will not fail. God will deliver on all of his promises. And so you can bank your life upon them. And you see, in the verses that we read this evening, both the cupbearer and the baker had actually committed an offense. Did you spot that? They actually deserved to be in prison. They had done something against the king. They deserved to be punished. And one carried the weight of that himself. He was hung on a tree. And the other received grace and mercy from the king. And he was lifted from the pit, wasn't he? Lifted up from what could very easily have been certain death. And not just saved from death, but he was placed into a position of privilege, wasn't he? And he was able, once again, to serve the king and to be associated with him. And isn't this a picture of what happens to all of humanity? Born in sin, sinners by nature, deserving of punishment. Born in a state of, of spiritual death and left there we will face the righteous wrath of the holy God. And that's what we deserve. And yet God in his grace and mercy, he chooses to send his son, doesn't he? The one who himself would be hung in a tree, 
the righteous one who would die in the place of God's people, who deserved the punishment. And because of what Christ has achieved on the cross, all of God's people are, are, are lifted from the pit, aren't they? That's what happens. Lifted from the grave, brought from a spiritual death to spiritual life. And we are welcomed into the great big family of God, brought to a place of position, a place of privilege. And because of the grace and mercy shown, they get to then willfully serve the king, the king of kings. So how should we respond this evening? How should we respond if we're one of those children? Well, perhaps like the psalmist, we could echo these, uh, these words of praise. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup, it overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the chapter finishes like this. Verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. As we finish this evening, let me, let me assure you of this. Brothers and sisters... Those here who are sheep of the good shepherd, he will not forget you. He does not forget any of his sheep. He will remember you. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, and you want to be, you hear the shepherd saying, come and follow me, well then cry out those words to Jesus. Jesus. Remember me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that for your sheep, you lead them and you guide them, and you're always with them. And that makes all the difference in the world. Lord, we know that often, the plans that you have for us are not plans that we would choose. Often we find ourselves in the valley of darkness and it's really painful and hard and disorientating and we cry out to you, Lord, and we say, how long? And yet, it's longer than we hope. And yet we're thankful that those times in the darkness are not purposeless. You have your purpose in them. You're seeking to make us more and more like Christ Jesus. And we are thankful that the shepherd is not lost in the dark valley either, not seeking directions and wondering how to get out, but the shepherd knows the way. And so, Lord, might each of us here leave trusting the good shepherd, seeking after his face, knowing that he has good plans and good purposes, and that he will lead us through the valley. He will indeed remember us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.